Is that good? Why don't you stand with me? Do you guys want real love today? It's found in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? It's found in Jesus. Why don't you stand up, turn around, shake hands with two or three people, tell them your name and tell them hello, and we'll get rolling. Good job, band. Thank you guys so much. Wow. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Roger Pate, and I'm the lead pastor here at Exalt Church, and I hope you have felt a warm welcome. We are truly glad to have you here. We don't believe that people are disposable. We don't believe that people are throwaway. We believe that you are the focus of God's love and concern. And our prayer is that you find a fresh expression of his love today. Now, we've been talking about over the last few weeks about a healthy church. And we believe that God wants healthy Christians And when Christians are healthy, the church is healthy. And so let's talk a little bit about the vital signs of a healthy church. Very quickly, we talked about that how a healthy church is a community. The healthy church is a worshiping community. And then last week, we talked about a healthy church is a serving community. Let me pause here and say this. If we have just one of those and not the others, we're out of balance. We're not healthy. And so we don't want just one of these. We don't want to just be a community that sits around and has fried chicken and loves each other, and that's it. We don't want to be simply just a worshiping community that has a great band that gets caught up in Jesus, and that's it. We don't want to just be a community that serves the world, and we do all of these great service things to our community and forget Jesus. We have to have all of these, and having all of these creates a healthy, dynamic balanced community. So today I want to talk about the fourth uh, aspect of a vital church. It's a healthy church is an outreaching community. And so many times we're not careful, we become so ingrown and nothing ingrown is healthy. Think about an ingrown hair. It's painful. Think about an ingrown toenail. It's gross and it hurts. And so the same thing with the church. When a church becomes ingrown, it becomes unhealthy, it becomes gross, it becomes painful. And so Matthew chapter 28, Jesus Christ, one of his last sermons was this. He said to his disciples, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Say all nations. That's not just America. That's not just Israel. He says make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, here's the reality. It's the tendency of people everywhere to become tribal. It's our tendency to become cliquish. Why do we wear University of North Carolina jerseys? Why do we wear St. Louis Cardinal hats? Why do we pick our favorite college team and wear that jersey? Because we want to identify with something larger and bigger than we are, and we want to be a part of that group. We want to be a part of that tribe. And so it's the same in the church. If we're not careful, however, we become so ingrown that we become a culture within the culture, and we fail to realize that God has not called His church to become ingrown and cliquish. He's called us to always be outwardly focused. That's a good place to say yes right there. And here's what happens. If we're not careful, we create our own Christian music. We create our own Christian concerts. We create our own Christian events. And we 
isolate ourselves from the world. God has not called you to be isolated from the world. He's called you to be light and salt. Now, I don't mean by that, gentlemen, go find an unbeliever girl and date her and try to convert her. It doesn't work. Missionary dating typically doesn't work. So hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying, all right? But if we're not careful, we, we get in this attitude of, uh, of this, this inside culture. I mean, look at how many people have the Apple on their computer. We want to be a part of Apple. I'm not that cool enough to have Apple. I'm still one of the IBM guys. I apologize. Now, also, churches tend to have inner circles. We fight against having an inner circle here. I like to say that Exalt Church, we don't have an inner circle. There is no insider. There's no outsider. In fact, if you want to be a part of my life, here's the best way to do it. Serve with me. If you're serving, man, you'll have all kinds of time with me to do whatever because our focus is to reach people. Your God, our God, our Jesus is a missionary God. Do you realize that? It's in your notes there. His focus always has and always will be outward. God's focus, why did Jesus Christ leave the Trinity and come to earth to die as a man? Because the focus was outward. God is a missionary, and God's goal is always to make insiders out of outsiders. His goal is always looking out to say, who's outside the church? Who's outside of my body? Who is valuable? Who is lost? And how can I reach those valuable lost people and bring them inside. That is God's call. And let's look at it. It's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Look at God. God came to Adam. Let's bring it up. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam had just messed up. He made life horrible for all of us. Adam sinned. Eve sinned. And in chapter 3, the Bible says that God comes to man. He walks in the garden pursuing man saying, Adam, where are you? you. God is a missionary. Look at our friend Abraham, our favorite Iraqi who ever lived. God chose Abraham as a missionary. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, we see these words. God says, I will bless those who bless you. I will honor those who honor you. And in you, all, say all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the very beginning of time, it was God's plan to redeem and bless every family. It wasn't choosing one culture, one nation, one people. He said, Abraham, my plan is to bless you so that through you, the Messiah, the Savior will come and it will bless the entire world. Next, God's a missionary. So he chose Israel to be a missionary nation. I want to drive this home. I want to get this in your heart because sometimes you'll hear in certain Christian circles, well, Israel is God's chosen people. What were they chosen to be? They were chosen to be a missionary nation to declare God to the world. Look at Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. It says, he says, and you, Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do you know why Israel dressed differently, why they ate differently, why they spoke differently, why they worshiped differently? It was so that the pagan nations would look at Israel and say, you serve a different God. Your God is different. Your God is unique. Think about how we bond with people. We bond with people over food. 
And so if you eat differently, it causes people to take notice. If you eat like me at Chick-fil-A and McDonald's, people don't really take notice too much. But when you're gluten-free, people take notice. Am I right? And so they ate differently. Isaiah 49 and verse 6, it says there, he says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. When God said, Israel, I am going to make you a priestly nation, what does a priest do? A priest represents God to the people and the people to God. And then he says, Israel, I'm going to make you a light to the nations that my salvation may go to the ends of the earth. I want to say it again. God never chose Israel to be an end to itself. God never chose Israel as a special nation just at, because it's a special nation. He chose them to be a kingdom of priests to take his name throughout the world. He chose them to be a missionary nation to evangelize the rest of the world. And why do you think God took them, for you Bible scholars, and put them in the place on the earth that he placed them? It's because it was a major trade route. People would bypass the desert and come through Israel to go to Egypt or go up into the other parts of Babylon and Persia. They would have to pass through there to avoid the desert. And God put them right there in a geographic location. Why would he put them there, not some beautiful place? He put them in that arid place so that when the nations came through them, they would declare them to them how great our God Yahweh is. And so here's the problem, however. Israel became angry at the nations because the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans all conquered them. And they got to where they hated these other nations. And if we're not careful in our nationalism, even as Americans, we'll be, become so proud in our nationalism that we will look down on the other nations and forget why God put us here. God put you here to be a missionary. God put you here to be a light to the world, to the entire world. And yes, God wants to do a work here in our nation, but God also wants to do a work in, throughout the nations of the world. Think about the nations you hate the most. Think about the nations that you despise the most and realize that God loves them, that God is pursuing them, that God is after them, that God died for them. Wow, I thought I'd get a better yes than that that I thought I'd get right there. So make a note, Lord. We'll come back to that in the future. All right, let's go on. Bring up the story of the Tower of Babel. Some of you that were raised in church, many of you weren't raised in church, but perhaps you were told about the story of Babel when the people built this great tower and God came in and confused their languages. And I remember reading that as a child in Sunday school and they told me, well, the reason why God destroyed the Tower of Babel is because they were proud and they built a, built a tower and because they were proud, God destroyed them. Look a little closer. Why did God come to the Tower of Babel and say, listen, guys, I'm going to stop your building. Here is why. In Genesis 11:4, it says, the people said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Look what God said to Adam. Come back to that in just a moment. Look at what God said to Adam. Next verse. To Adam, God said, be, fru be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Next, look what God said to Noah after the flood. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The Tower of Babel happened after Adam. It happened after Noah. And God said to them, I want you to go and spread my name throughout the earth. How were they to do that? When man was made, man was made in the image of God, and man became image bearers of God. And so when we look at man, we should see God's image. And when man worships God, we should see God in that man. It's the same when a, in the foreign power back in the ancient Near East would conquer another nation. What would they do? They would set up statues of their king and say, this is our king. They would take coins and mint them and put the face of Caesar on the, on the coin and spread it throughout the world. In my dad's day, they would take pictures of John F. Kennedy and put him on every single dining room around America. Why? You are reminded of, here is our leader. Here's who, who, here's who we fall under. And when God made Adam, he said, you are an image bearer. And when God delivered Noah, he said, you are image bearers. Go throughout the world and reproduce and show the earth how great your God is. And what did they do at the Tower of Babel? Instead of pursuing and going out and being outreaching and being outwardly focused, they said, nope, let's get a little huddle. Let's gather right here. This is a nice spot. Let's stick together. Let's build a city and let's establish our kingdom right here and let's not spread out. And God came in and confused them because he said, my plan is for you to go throughout the entire earth and take my name everywhere. God didn't judge them because of their pride. He said, you're not doing my work. You're not spreading forth my name. And I submit to you today, my friends, it's the same today. If we're not careful, we get gathered in a little huddle, my four and my no more, and we get gathered here, and this is my family, and this is my church, and I know you, and I know you, and we're happy, and we're great, and we have a picnic and a reunion. And we get safe and we get tribal. We are exalt church. I hope we never become so prideful that we think that exalt is anything. Come and tell, tell you, my friends, we are nothing and we have nothing and we can do nothing outside of Jesus. We are simply garden hoses and conduits of his grace and love to take th water to thirsty people. And as long as we see ourselves as a garden hose, and that's all we are, Taking his love and joy, man, we'll be in a good place. I, I want to hurry through here and hit one more place. The story of Jonah, the guy that got swallowed by the well. Roger, do you really believe that story? Well, Jesus did, and he saved my soul. And so if Jesus believed in it, absolutely, I believe in it as well. Remember the story of Jonah? God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them about me. And he wouldn't go. Why wouldn't he go to Nineveh? Was it because he was a rebellious prophet? Yeah, that's part of it. But here's the point. Nineveh was an enemy nation of Israel. And Jonah did not want to go to that, that, that enemy nation of Israel and tell them about God because he did not want God to save them. He wanted God to judge them and destroy them because he did not like that nation. Jonah forgot his God in his own nationalism. 
And I, could I submit to you, my friends, when you read the Bible, it's there all over the place. If we're not careful, we can get wrapped up in our own tribalism, our own nationalism, that we forget the real reason why we're here. We're here to serve God and serve His kingdom. He is our King. We are His subjects. He is the Lord. We are His people. He's given us His message. He's given us His plan. And we're to take that to the ends of the world. So my job is to take Jesus. Your job is to take Jesus. The very fact you're in your neighborhood, in your school, in this community, God's put you here to take Jesus. And, and Jonah rebelled and he said, no, I don't want to go and preach you to our enemy nation because you'll save them. And I don't want you to save them. I want you to get them. You ever pray prayers like that? Oh, God, save everyone but my ex-husband. Lord, I pray for him. I pray you get him good. And I know what you do. You go to the Psalms and you find those really good Bible verses that says, Lord, grind their teeth out with rocks. I say, hey, pray for your ex-husband. You say, I'll pray. Lord, I pray you beat him down good. Sick him, Jesus. And sometimes we're not careful, we'll look at other nations and other races and other people and we'll see them as enemies and we'll dehumanize them and not see them as people of God's love and concern. Wow, you got quiet or I got loud. Go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's look at one more person, the greatest missionary who ever lived, Jesus Christ came to earth. Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. When Jesus Christ came, he came as a missionary. God took on the flesh. God became a man. God became a person for all time. Think about that. That for all eternity, Jesus is now a man. And he became a man. He became incarnate. He became a missionary. And he came to seek and save the lost. He came to die for those who are outside. So God, Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate insider, came to reach outsiders. He was God, the ultimate part of the Trinity, and yet he came to reach out to man. How beautiful is that? He's our model. And that blows my mind to this day. I don't get it all, but it blows my mind. So if God throughout history is a missionary, if we see it lived out through Jesus as a missionary, if we see God through his plan of Abraham and Adam and Noah and throughout the Tower of Babel and Jonah as God's heart for a missionary, if we see that, I submit to you that you and I are also called to be missionaries. Not every one of you are called to be a pastor, but every single one of you are ministers of God's gospel. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are ministers. And I hope when people ask you, well, who's that minister over Exalt Church? I hope you say, I am. Go ahead, park in the clergy spot when you go visit someone at the hospital and pray for them. I deputize you. You're a minister. So here's the question. If we are to go, and Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all nations, who is to go? Very simple. We are. You are. 
I am. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now keep your conduct among the Gentiles, or as the Greek word says, the nations, the peoples. Keep it honorable. So why? So they may see your good deeds and glorify God. God chose you. God adopted you. God picked you. God saved you. God hunted you down, if I can use that word. I went paintball uh, shooting yesterday with a bunch of teenagers, and uh, I lost. I really did. But I mean, those guys would hunt me down, and they would paint me. That's a fancy word for saying they shot me, all right? They painted me. Now, if you got offended because your pastor went and shot a paintball gun, I apologize for offending you, but there's a whole lot more things to be offended about than that, all right? So, but let's keep going on here. And so, they hunted me down. God chased you down. God sought you out. God pursued you, and not just to save you but to make you a missionary to save others around you. Number two, why are we to go? So if I am to go, that's fine. But why are we to go? Very simply, it brings God honor. Nothing more honors God than when you share the message of Jesus Christ with someone else and they believe in Jesus Christ. Nothing else honors God more than when someone who is an outsider becomes an insider with God. Nothing, nothing makes God more happy than when people are brought back into relationship with Him. And you're that conduit. You're that one who introduces Him others to him. You're the one that can say, hey, listen, Jesus Christ changed my life. Here's what happened in my life. Here is where I was. Here's what Jesus Christ did for me. Here's how my life changed. Let me tell you how he's changed my life. And you don't have to preach or, or use fancy words. Just tell your story of what Jesus did in your life. John 17 and 4 says this. It says, Jesus says, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And what was that work that Jesus came to do? To seek and save the lost, to go after outsiders, to give people, to reach people who didn't think God even concern, was concerned about them, to reach people who were suspicious of God, to reach people who thought God was out to get them, to reach people who they thought God was angry at them. Can I tell you right now, God isn't angry at you? Can I tell you right now, God doesn't hate you? Can I tell you that God is not out to get you? Now, He is out to get you. When I met Laura, I was out to get her. <laughs> Jason, you were out to get her. Where's Bresh at? You were out to get her, Bresh. Do I see you back there somewhere? We were, he, yes, he's out to get me, but he wasn't out to get me. God is not angry at you. God is not mad at you. God's arms are wide open and God says, come those that are tired. Come those that are weary. Come those that are beat up. Come to me, those who've given up on religion. 
Religion leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Religion leaves you wanting. Religion leaves you empty. Religion and church leaves you without hope when Jesus Christ isn't in it. And so what did Jesus come to do? He came to reconcile us back to God. And so what was his motive? His motive was, I want to bring glory to the Father. I want to honor the Father. And how can, did he best honor the Father? By dying upon the cross, by giving his life, by shedding his blood, by paying the price that you and I could not pay so that people like you and I could come to him. And nothing brought God more honor than when Jesus Christ came and brought men back to God. And I submit to you today that nothing brings God honor. Not a song. And don't we have some talented singers up here? Aren't they fantastic? Aren't they great? Yeah, go ahead. It's great. And as wonderful as that is, and as much glory as that brings God, and as much as our ushers and, and, and first impressions team and kids workers bring glory to God, you know, the reason why we do all of that is for this reason. We want people who don't know him to know him. And nothing brings him more joy than that. Praise God. So where are we to go? Let's go on here. So I am to go. Why are we to go? It brings God honor. And where are we to go? If you're taking notes, write it down. Write this in there. My world. My world. Your world. There are people that professional clergymen will never reach. There are people that I am powerless to reach, that you reach. There is a language and a culture that you speak that I don't know how to speak it. I can't fix anything. And when I start to fix anything, Laura will say to me, Honey, shouldn't you call someone? Should you call the plumber? Should you call Tommy? Should you call Curtis? You know, it's going to be worse when you get done with it. And she's right, it usually is, but man, what a challenge, right? There is a culture that you speak that I don't speak. There's a language, a dialect that you speak. There's a story that you have I don't have. Laura has a story that speaks profoundly to people. You have a story that speaks profoundly to people. And so God has called you to go to your world. Yes, he says, go into all of the world. But listen, when you go to your world, and you go to your world, and Curtis goes to his world, and you go to your world, and I go to mine, we reach the world. When I say I can't go to all the world for you, let me give you the best illustration I can, can give you. Imagine it's a Tuesday afternoon at the park, and all of the moms are at the park with their kids, and they're playing. Who do you think has a better shot at spreading Jesus there, Dina or me? Because when I show up without a dog, and I show up without any kids, I'm going to say, who is this creeper? Who is this weirdo? I'm Pastor Roger Pate of Exalt Church. So good to meet you. They're going to say, get out of here, you weirdo. Because Mama Bear's going to come out. But you watch Dina go there with little Charlie. How old is Charlie? And she'll tell them, oh, isn't he so, oh, he's so adorable. Well, where are you guys from? San Diego. Conversa and then, not, not being fake or fake, they'll come a certain time. Not maybe at that moment, it may be the fourth or fifth or sixth time or twentieth time, but God is going to open up a door where Dina, in her world, can talk about Jesus. 
And it's not this force. Now, there's some folks here that you're called to go stand upon the street corner and proclaim it loudly. Bless God, go do it. But most of you are called to go into your world, into your cultures, and be who God has made you to be and shine brightly. Be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness tells what he saw, what he heard, what he, she experienced. Tell what you saw, tell what you heard, tell what you experienced through Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Go to your world. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up here. How are we to go? Write this down, very profound. How are we to go? Go! Pretty profound, right? How we go? Go. And as you are going, go. What do I mean by that? I, I have been in ministry most of my life. God came into my life when I was eight years old, called me to preach at nine years old in a family that did not know Jesus Christ. I began writing sermons when I was nine, started preaching in churches at 14, traveled around the world at 17, literally, and did that for 10 years and have been in ministry most of my life. That's my story. And so I've been on the go most of my life. There's a period of time I traveled 300 days out of the year, going from city to city to city, preaching in 25 different denominations around the world. I could write a book and someday I might and my mother may buy a copy of it, maybe. Uh, I'll probably have to give her that one, so I'll, I'll publish one at least. But the reality is I I've been going my entire life and one thing I found about church people is this. Most church people wait for the church to do something until they reach out. They wait for some kind of program before they do it. And yes, we will have programs. We will knock on doors. We will, hang, we, will, we will hang door knockers. We'll have water giveaways. We will have those special events where we all go. And we rally and we do that. And we'll, we'll help you do that. But listen, there's a danger to that because we start thinking that the only time we go is when it's a church-sponsored event. Let me be very honest with you. You will never see Laura and I at a Halloween-sponsored church event as long as we live in the neighborhood we live in. Why? Don't you care about lost people on Halloween, Roger? Are you protesting Halloween? No. Here's why. Because we're going to have a bonfire on our driveway, and we're going to sit there because more neighbors come to my house on Halloween than any other day of the year. I meet more people coming to my house on that day. And so why would I take myself out of my neighborhood that God has put me in to come to some sanctioned event instead of reaching my own neighborhood? Yes. I got one preacher's wife saying amen. <laughs> Am I right? Roger, are you against those events? No. There's some neighborhoods you live and no one comes to your door. By all means, have a church-sponsored event. But we've got to start thinking creatively. Well, I can't believe you're handing out candy on the devil's holiday. Well, you know what? I live in the devil's world and I'm going to share Jesus no matter where I'm at. Amen. <laughs> we met more neighbors. I saved a lady, literally, who was run over by her grandchild on a, on a UTV, 
utility vehicle, ran her over and the chicken coop. I saved her, picked her up. The, the child had ran her over, and I literally picked her up from underneath the UTV, got her. Didn't know her name. I met her on Halloween in my front yard. I said, you're the one that saved me. I mean, conversations. And here's what happens. We wait for those events. We'll all go knock on doors when the church does it. Yes, because we have to do some things centralized, we do that. And yes, we will do outreach events, absolutely. But don't let that be all that you do. Go in your world. What does that look like? That may be you know someone for a year, and you never say a word to them about Jesus, but when they come to you and say, friend, my, my, my wife left me. It's a prayer. It's a pat on the back. It's when your sales rep that works for you comes to you and says, my husband has locked me in my house, literally, and put bolts on the outdoors, and the days I can't get to work is because he bolted me in. True story. If you step out in the name of Jesus Christ, you say, how can I help you? I'll get you into the Barrett's house. Let me pray for you. How can, how, what can I do? True story, live that one. Some of you have been in church for so long, you don't know anyone that's an unbeliever. That's sad. It happens because we get tribal. We, we get inside. And like I said earlier, sometimes it's because we have so many programs going at the church that we keep you so busy doing that that you don't have time. And we're going to try to guard against that here. Because I want you in your world. I want you to be yeast in your world. You take a little yeast, put it in a roll, and it puffs up. I want you to be yeast in your world. I want you to meet people that aren't believers, not just because so you can do an Amway thing on them, and here's my circles, come to Jesus, but you actually love and care for lost people. And if you're outside the church or you've been in the church for so long you don't know anyone that's a believer, how do you do that? Well, maybe it's you go to the same gas station and fill up at the same gas station every single week at the same time. Instead of using that debit card, you actually walk in and you look at the person. Hi, Tom. Or maybe it's going to the same restaurant, even though you love all kinds. You go to the same one because when you go at the same time, it's amazing. You go to the same Starbucks every single day, you start knowing the people. You go to the same Panera every single day, you start knowing the people. And you pray for the opportunity. Not in your time, but in God's time. So you go. And then you go as you're going. A number of years ago, I, I loved to kayak, and I was kayaking on the Mississippi River. And we were out there, and there's parts of the river that get really dirty. And I'm out there, and there are birds and singing, and the water's there, and I'm just having the time of my life. And first time in the Mississippi River, and some of the guys that were with me do it all the time. And I looked over as they were paddling their kayaks. They would reach over, and they would take out this piece of styrofoam out of the river. And they would reach over, and they would take this piece of a floating bottle out of the river. It wasn't Earth Day. It wasn't some sanctioned St. Louis, let's clean up the river day. No, but as they were going, 
They did it naturally. Pick it up. It's dirty. Let me grab this. Pick it up. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. Go. But be natural. As you naturally go, go. And do it because it's who you are. I mean, light is bright because it's light. Chickens live in a chicken coop because they're chickens. Airplanes are put in hangars because they're airplanes. And you share the love of Jesus and His grace and His mercy because you have experienced the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus, and it's just who you are. Amen. You forgive someone. Why? Because God forgave you. You don't think about it. It's just who you are. You forgive mama when she offends you because Jesus forgave you a whole lot more. It's just who you are. Laura forgives me because I'm easy to love. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Here's the pattern. God loved the world, so he sought to win it for his honor. Jesus Christ came to the world, and he loved it, and he sought to win it for the Father's honor. You and I are sent to the world to love the lost world for God's honor. Catch it. We are an extension of God the Father. His mission that began thousands of years ago in the Old Testament hasn't changed. Go, fill the earth with my glory. Take my name. Take my life. Take me to the world. Our mission is identical to the mission of Jesus Christ. Can you say yes to that? We want to reconcile people to God. Stand with me. <clears throat> wow, I cannot speak a message like that and not go here right now. Listen carefully. Every eye on me, every ear on me. Please, team, minimal movement. Jesus Christ loves you. Now, let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you walk down front. But I believe that you're here not by happenstance or luck or by chance. I don't believe you came on this Sunday. If you were planning it, you would have waited and come till Easter. But God brought you here for a reason. And he brought here to tell you this reason, that I love you so much, I died upon the cross. And if you believe in me, you will not perish. He says, I come to you not to condemn you, but that everyone who believes on me shall be saved. Tommy said it, Tony said it, Laura said it, I've said it. We don't care what you've done. That's not babble. We don't care what you've done. Why? Because the Savior doesn't care what you've done. And every one of us needed a Savior. You can't save yourself. You can't help yourself. You can't change yourself. The self-help section at Barnes & Nobles or Amazon isn't going to help you. You need a Savior. And you may not have it figured out right now. You may not have all it across. It doesn't matter. But right now, wherever you are, when you walk out of this building, maybe you're driving down the road, or this week, it gets really bad. And I hope the words come back from that hyper guy on stage. 
that says, if you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Jesus, I call upon you. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe upon you. Forgive me and redeem my life. And watch what he does. There are people here that were bound by drug addiction, and they said, Jesus, save my life. And they're free. There's people here that couldn't even have a relationship. Their relationships were all broken and messed up. And not that Jesus makes it all easy. Laura and I fight sometimes. But Jesus makes it possible to reconcile and live the full life. There are people here that couldn't have a relationship. And Jesus came in their lives and their lives were changed. And they have productive lives because they, they knew they experienced love. And there are some people that called upon Jesus Christ and they lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their lives. They were burned because in a Buddhist area they proclaimed Jesus Christ. But they're more alive now than they've ever been before. Jesus, save me. Save me. Amen. Amen. Now, believers, look at me for a moment. I know I'm, I'm running out of time here. Look at me. You're missionaries. Every single one of you. You may not have the Master of Divinity degree that I have. You're missionaries. You may have been saved one week. You're missionaries. You may be 17 years old. You're a missionary. You may be 70 plus years old. You're a missionary. You may have had married four times and you're on the fifth wife. You're a missionary. You may be believing the Lord, but you're still fighting with an addiction and you're believing in Him. You're a missionary. Take His light. Take His life. Be the garden hose and bring life to someone else. That's all I've got for you guys. God bless you. I love you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Amen.